0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to a very special episode of the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele.
2: Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, Legacy is the focus again Mm -hmm. this week. We're doing... The lead story from issue 87 of Green Lantern, co-starring Green Arrow, published on 21st of October 1971, one week exactly before my dad's 31st birthday. Yeah. God bless you, Sandy. It's an interesting one, this this issue is the first appearance of Green Lantern, John Stewart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to be up front and say two middle-aged white guys from Scotland talking about a black superhero. We're going to be as respectful as we possibly can.
1: It's a very race-themed story, yes. so we're going to be There's a couple of points that cautious. we're not going to read
2: the full dialogue. We might smooth over some of the edges because, frankly, we feel a little uncomfortable reading it, and we're also aware that, you know, it's not about us. Put yes. it this way, this it's story. The story yeah. It's the second of Hal Jordan's backups, as it were, to be introduced as Hal Jordan's alternatives. We're going to talk a little bit later on about the creation of the character. And such like, but before we get in, Peter, can you remember when you
1: first encountered John Stewart Green Lantern? I think it's around about the Dave Gibbons era when okay. he was on because you had John Stewart Matui was hanging about at that point as well. Predator was a character in it as well, mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. like a an offshoot of Carl Ferris, yeah, uh, yeah, which was really quite weird and bizarre. Yeah, so around about then, I would think, and he was the main Green Lantern at the time. Hal Jordan had quit at that time, that's right, and he was for quite some time. It's John that's the active Green Lantern during Crisis on Infinite Earths,
2: Mm -hmm. as far as One is concerned. And again, this is where we make the point that Hal Jordan does not appear within the pages of the 12-issue Crisis on Infinite Earths. Nope, not at all. Obviously, he's involved in the Green Lantern crossover issues. We'll do them as well. Don't worry, Mm -hmm. listeners. But yeah, I think the first time I encountered John would have been one of those fabled trips to the post office down the road from my granny's, where I bought issue 60 or 61, whichever it was, of All-Star Squadron. Mm -hmm and there were some issues of Green Lantern Corps. Mm. I first connected with them properly during the Mosaic storyline. Oh, really? Okay. Because that was when I was kind of feeling my way into reading DC Comics at sure. that point. Uh-huh. My friend Scott was picking up Green Lantern. Mm. I bought the trade paperback of Emerald Dawn, and Scott mm. followed it and really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I lent it to someone when I was working in HMV. So Chris or Paul, if you're listening, if you've got that book, can have it back. Scott had read this and started reading... I think he read Emerald Dawn 2 and started picking up the regular book and I started picking up the regular book. So that was the first time I really properly became acquainted with John. And it's interesting because John, I think for a lot of people, he's almost their default Green Lantern because he was the one that was used in the Justice League cartoon. Yep, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. Massive sort of exposure that way. Mm
1: -hmm. For a whole generation. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's crazy to think how long ago that that (laughs) series actually was now, like 20 years it was going on. And we've had the recent confirmation, of course, that he's going to be featured in this new Green Lantern TV series that's happening yeah. in the new era of James Gunn. I like John. He's never been my favourite Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. He was always a bit too worthy. Okay. Guy was funnier. Hal was a bit more dynamic to me, and he was the first one I counted. Kyle was my age, so I agree. You know. Sure, yeah, I understand. I, yeah. I like John, but he's, he's always he's always that, to me, he's always that air of the you know the reliable guy in the corner.
1: Yeah, I know what Do you You know mean. what I mean? Uh-huh. I've never hugely clicked with John because I feel that sometimes writers don't. Sometimes they write him as the architect guy. Sometimes they write him as the soldier guy. Oh, yeah. And they never really seem to get a decent... Yeah, I was a bit
2: sort of. I remember, like, was it during War of the Green Lanterns, in mm-hmm. the period before the New Fifty Two? I mm-hmm. certainly because mem- they, they did. There was a storyline where he was he was in a wheelchair for a while, wasn't he? I seem to remember running about the early two thousands. Right, did he end up being a Dark Star as well? In the, at one point, I
1: don't recall offhand, to be honest. Did. I'm sure he did. I
2: and I remember being surprised when this background of, of him being in the army was sort of suddenly foregrounded mm-hmm. because I thought, no, when did that happen? He was the architect guy. He was, yeah. Uh-huh. That was the whole point. It was this break of a, showing a positive, you know, representation for a black character mm-hmm. rather than, you know, a, just a kind of a jive-talking Luke Cage-type guy. Yeah.
1: And also it gave the the aspect of he could mentally construct more interesting things because he's an architect. Of course. He could see designs in his head and they yeah. would actually come into being. Yeah. And of course they did that with Kyle when he was his, as, the, as the
2: illustrator, of uh-huh. course, which is an which interesting, interesting parallel. So anyway, listeners, very important comic, as we say. This comes towards the end of the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill run mm-hmm. on Green Lantern and Green Arrow, famous now as the hard-travelling heroes and for bringing social realism to to the GL stories. That obviously started with issue 76, published in early 1970. Issue 87, one of the last issues, there's only two more issues mm-hmm. after this. Issue 88, which is an old reprint issue, which is a nice Neil Adams cover, mm-hmm. which is a nice Alan Scott figure on it. We're going to put the cover for that one up in the socials alongside this one as yep. well, just because it's so cool. It has an un- previously unpublished Alan Scott story, which we will be dealing with in due course, so don't worry about that. After this issue 87, there's the all reprint eighty eight, and then issue eighty nine is the final one in this run. So we're yeah. coming in at the tail end of the Hard Traveling Heroes. But it's nice that we can we can justify touching on one of them. Mm-hmm. So it is our 30-second dedicated, focused, highlighted Neil Adams cover. Wow. Peter's gonna tell you all about it.
1: It's a fantastic image in the cover. Up the top, again, we're at that strange period where there's not a proper DC logo. Instead, you have a circle that says, DC, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. And you've got Hal Jordan and Ollie Queen's masked faces Mm. within that. A couple of floating heads. Yep. Then, of course, we have the Green Lantern right in the middle at the top with the banner. And coming out from that is lit up Green Lantern, co-starring Green Arrow. And the arrow that's coming off the W uh, and Green Arrow is actually pointing at the, the small circle that says 48 pages, only 25 cents. I like that. It's almost if like it's highlighting it.
2: Yeah, that's hilarious. I, I'm sure it's purely accidental. Oh, yes. It's very, very funny.
1: And of course, we have a really stark image on the cover. We have the plain white background with two images on it, which makes it really pop. It's mm. fantastic. On the ground, we have what seems to be an injured or comatose Hal Jordan. He's been lifted up by another figure in a Green Lantern costume. And it's the aforementioned John Stewart. Yep. And he's saying to us, the reader, with his ring
0: glowing on his fist, they whipped the Green Lantern. Now let him try me. And we've got some text that says, Introducing an unforgettable new character who really means it when he warns, Beware my power. Then we have more information on the other stories in this issue. It also says, plus a new life for Green Arrow in What Can One Man Do? And a classic extra, Earth's First Green Lantern. Yeah, which is an Abin Sur story, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Yeah, the the Ollie backup's
2: also by the, the same creative team. Yes. It's a very dynamic cover. On the socials this week, I will post a few homage covers, which have been done. Oh, good. Over the
1: years. Yes, it doesn't mess, does it? No certainly grabs your attention. You would buy this off the shelf straight away.
2: Now, John's not the first black DC superhero of sorts. You know, there's Mal from the Teen Titans, a couple Mm. of the Kirby characters, but he's the first black legacy character. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about that once we've done the story, the importance of that. Yes. So, yeah, we'll we'll just jump in. It's a shorter story than usual. Hopefully we'll get through it all right. So we have an opening splash panel with a lovely green
0: tint that shows... Hal Jordan in the midst of charging his power battery. Lots of captioning that reads, Somewhere in Southern California, this autumn day, Green Lantern is performing his familiar, almost sacred ritual, touching his power ring to the battery, from which it draws its mystic energy. Suddenly, the floor beneath his feet buckles. The air is immediately filled with dust. The walls bend and break. There is a sound like the shattering of a million huge china plates. And in that instant, the Emerald Crusader realises a soul-chilling truth. This is an... Earthquake! Another small caption tells the story is by...
1: Denny O'Neill, art by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And we're told the name of this story, large letters, BEWARE Be
0: MY POWER! power.
2: And the first panel in a page two, Hal has left his building. He's flying through the air. We can see the disruption underneath. The streets cracked open, cars are in disarray, traffic lights have fallen over. He flies over. Hal's thinking. The tremors seem to have stopped, and the policemen and firemen apparently have the situation under control. Luckily, the, the quake was slight. He flies up into the sky in panel two. Still, it won't hurt to have a look around. Somebody may need my help. At that moment, outside the city. Yes, we're at a bridge which has obviously been broken in the middle. We can see it comes down from the mountain, continues into the city, but a huge central section of this connecting part of the bridge has been broken by the earthquake. There's a little girl perched on an outcrop of this broken section. How she wandered out there, I'm not sure. You can see some other children standing on the bridge watching, and there's a young man, kind of short red hair, purple shirt, brown trousers, and he's calling to this little girl, and he's saying, Susie, honey, listen to me. Sweetie, you've got to come closer. I can't come to you. My weight's too much for what's left of the bridge. We'd both fall into the canyon. I- I'm
1: scared, Mr. Gardner.
2: We get a close-up in the final panel of page two, and we realise it's a very familiar figure. It's Guy Gardner who we met when we did Green in issue 59 at the tail end of 2021. And we'll get a reminder of Guy's status as the story continues. He's thinking in his panel. Poor kid. She's frightened out of her mind. Frozen with fear. Which leaves me No choice. This thing may go any second, but I've got to chance it. Cross panel of page three. While a dozen yards distant. Yeah, Green Lantern Hal Jordan alights beside the children. We can see their school bus in the background. So obviously Susie must have got off the bus and wandered away. As he lands, Green Lantern says, anything I can do for you kids?
1: Not us, Green Lantern, but Mr.
2: Gardner and Susie Delancey. They're stuck out there. Mr Gardner was taking us
0: on a class trip in the bus when... Before the child could finish her story, the screech of rending girders tortures the stillness as... Yes, and we see in panel two that
2: part of the bridge has given way. Susie falls, but also the school bus tips forward with a... Whamp. Whamp! Hits Guy Gardner square in the back. In panel Gosh. three, Green Lantern catches Susie in a power ring beam, uses another power ring beam to catch the school bus, and then creates a stretcher for who he now realises Guy Gardner. Indeed, Hal exclaims, That's Guy Gardner! In the first panel, of page four, he's brought Guy up onto the bridge, got him laid down, and he says, You hurt bad guy? Green Lantern, I didn't expect you. Yeah, pretty badly broken up. Bus hit me full. Body feels like a balloon with a load of busted. Light bulbs rattling around inside. Another asterisk in this panel reminds us that...
1: Guy Gardner, the alternate choice to be Earth's Green Lantern, as revealed in Earth's other Green Lantern in the March 1968 Green Lantern, or indeed the previous episode of this podcast.
2: Yes, 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 yes.
1: So, a slow dissolve. Shortly at a nearby hospital... And we see Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, talking to a medical man who says... It's a miracle your friend survived at all. If he hadn't been in perfect health... Well... As it is, he'll be bedridden for at least six months.
2: Green Lantern leaves the hospital, the next panel, very moody lit panel, as he thinks. Not a good situation. Guy's my successor, the only other deserving one on earth, fearless and honest enough to activate a power ring. I've been counting on him, letting my duties slip while i got my personal life together. Does that imply that Guy has been active as a GL? Interesting. Hal continues to think, knowing if I became strung out, Guy could take over, but now, and then suddenly, he's interrupted by a vision of one of the Guardians of Oa, who says, Hear me, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Earth. of Earth! And a caption leads us from panel 4 into panel 5.
0: Abruptly, the Emerald Crusader's thoughts are interrupted by the telepathic image of one of the immortal Guardians. Yes, the Guardian continues. We have, we have witnessed, witnessed Guy Gardner's injury. It, it is, our is our wish to designate another substitute for, for yourself. I
2: concur. But who? And a slow dissolve takes us to the top of page five.
0: Who indeed have the Guardians chosen to find the answer come with us to a certain urban ghetto? Listeners, we're going to be as tactful as we can, but it's it's really interesting. I mean, as we say, we're in
2: this position of two middle-aged white guys from Scotland and this issue addresses a lot of problems in America, which are obviously still going on. You don't have to be daft to say that, but we're going to be very careful how we handle this because it's very sensitive. A couple of young black men sat in the street. It looks like they're playing cards or something. It's not too clear. And a couple of police officers are hassling them. In the background, we can see some closed shops that have lots of graffiti and stuff. There's some take-a-drink. There's a couple of dustbins lying Hmm. in front of them, some more rubbish in the streets. And the policeman is saying to the two young men, move along, you haven't got a game permit. And besides, you're blocking the sidewalk, one of the boys says. Ah, let us alone. And then off-camera, another voice says, good advice.
1: Yeah, fine advice, officer.
2: And we're greeted by another young black gentleman, very smartly dressed actually, he's in a kind of green waistcoat over an orange shirt and a green, green blue neckerchief, who continues talking to the policeman where
1: he says, Maybe you ought to check your law book and find out if they really need a permit to play dominoes. As for blocking, wouldn't we'll anybody to walk around him. You want trouble? Says the policeman. I don't want it, but I'm not about to run from it either. In any way, I kind of doubt you're man enough to give it, even with your nightstick. Senior policeman here,
2: the one that's just been talking, older, thicker set guy with white hair, he's not really into it. He swells up the next panel saying, blast them, they got no respect. And his friend grabs his arm, quietens him and says, Fred, respect has to be earned. The way you acted, you didn't earn no nickels worth. We shift our perspective to the next panel up on the rooftop overlooking this scene that's been going on. And Hal Jordan, in his Green Lantern uniform, is standing with one of the Guardians, looking down. Hal says to the Guardian, That's the man you want to trust with a power ring? The finest weapon ever devised?
1: He He has has all all due qualifications, qualifications and we are not not interested interested in in your petty bigotries.
2: Hey, that's not what I meant. Maybe he's brave, honest, and has the right kind of mind. But it's obvious he also has a chip on his shoulder the size of the Rock of Gibraltar. Frankly, I think you're making a mistake. With that, Green Lantern Howe dives off the side of the building down towards the street as the Guardian says,
0: Perhaps, nevertheless, our judgment stands. A slow dissolve. Later, in a nearby candy store, Green Lantern finishes his explanation and... Green Lantern sat with this
2: chap who we haven't actually had his name yet, the man who stood up to the policeman. We can see comics in the right behind him. Yay. So another guy polishing a glass in the background. And Green Lantern Hal is in the process of finishing a spiel, obviously, as he's saying, So I'm asking, you interested?
1: Considering jobs aren't exactly plentiful for black architects in the land of the free these days, and I haven't worked in weeks, so time's not a problem. Sure, I'll try your gig. Might be a laughs being a superhero. My mama named me John Stewart. Square John to my friends. Only from now on, maybe you better call me Black Lantern.
2: That's interesting, obviously, because that's a couple of years before Black Goliath. Oh, yes. In Marvel, you know, um, which was eventually mm-hmm. they, they softened that and became just became Giant Man. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Capture name for panel four.
0: Next, the young black man begins a crash course in the mysteries of the Green Lantern Corps. Green Lantern Hal
2: and John Stewart standing on a rooftop. Hal's explaining. Energy is broadcast by tachyon transmission from the master power battery on the planet Oa to these batteries. Your ring can only absorb 24 hours worth at a time. You must remember to recharge it. Care to demonstrate? We have a ritual. An oath. It goes like this. And Hal, Places is battery on a chimney stack and says in brightest day in blackest night no evil shall escape my sight let those who worship evil's might beware my power green lanterns light. first panel of page seven john says
0: man that's
1: pretty corny except for the part that says beware my power hmm i do dig those words
2: and we see that john is now wearing a power ring it flashes in panel two green lantern house says We may as well begin your field training. You'll need a proper outfit. And he gestures with his power ring and John's street clothes transformed into the full
1: Green Lantern uniform. John says, These aren't any threads James Brown would wear, but they beat my usual Salvation Army special.
2: And he continues in the next panel,
1: Only one thing. I won't wear any mask. This black man lets it all hang out. I've got nothing to hide.
2: And he tosses the mask over his shoulder and as a tss sound effect. It looks so lantern, Hal, burns it up with his power ring. Mm. In the next panel, the caption says, For hours they practice in the sky above the city. Yeah, we can see them turning loops, flying around. Hal is saying, You have a real talent, John. You've quickly mastered the skills
1: necessary to sustain flight. It's easy compared to the skills needed to reach my pad after dark. Those muggers, something else. And then in the final panel of page seven, we see where they've flown to. Hey, look down there at the airport. Must be a celebrity arriving. Right. I don't know, which celebrity? What say we drop in for a while? And we can
2: see that there's a crowd as this plane arrives. We can see some police and there's some people carrying signs. One of them that says, Welcome Senator. Mm -hmm. A couple of others, but we can't really read them, to be honest. In the first panel of page eight, it's obvious that the police have lost control of keeping
0: the crowd back here to greet the senator. First caption says, Recklessly, the crowd surges toward the plane in the path of a fuel truck. The driver swerves. Yeah, there's a massive screech of brakes. A tyre hits an oil slick and suddenly the truck is out of control, plummeting toward a heedless knot of people.
2: Yeah. The two Green Lanterns fly down in panel two. John says, You get those people out of harm's way. I'll see to the wheels. And Hal is with his ring and creating a massive weird cage yes. to corral up the crowd. And John is
0: gesturing, creating a brace which will slow the progress of the truck. The caption for the final panel of page eight. A gush of thick oil spurts forth, showering the spectators, including Senator Jeremiah Clutcher. Yes, you see, John's maybe been a little too enthusiastic. He's actually
2: pierced the side of the the oil truck. And as the caption says, we can see a little squirt spraying over some of the people coming down the stairs from the aeroplane. Now, first panel of page nine, we see the senator and his friends... Wiping the muck from their face, the senator says, Ah, an outrage! Someone will pay! And in off-camera, a voice says,
1: Hey, baby, haven't I seen you picking cotton someplace?
2: Yes, in panel two, John is standing in front of the senator and laughing at him, basically. And the implication there is clear, that because the senator has an oil spray in his face, his face has now has been blackened by that, and that's obviously what John's referring to. And panel three... We can see the senator waving a fist at John and Hal as they fly off. Hal says, John, you were stupid and irresponsible.
1: So I maybe missed my aim with the power beam and the senator got a little blackened. What's to worry about? I've been dark all my life and I'm surviving. I don't believe you missed. Okay, I didn't. Listen, Whitey. That windbag wants to be president? He's a racist. And he figures on climbing to the White House in the backs of my people? Two lads are flying higher in the next panel as Hal says... You think
2: he's a racist? Tough. Nobody appointed you judge. You need a lesson, and I'm the guy who's teacher. As of now, I'm assigning you to guard Senator Clutcher, and if anything happens to him, you've had it. One last thing. Don't call me Whitey. Something in that reminds me of that bit about he who is without sin casting the first stone. A slow dissolve to page 10.
0: An hour later, at a stadium near the city limits... Big long
2: panel, takes up length of the page. We can see a sign that reads, Tonight, Senator Clutcher. We can see the crowd walking in the caption
0: for panel two. The Senator speaks to a rapt audience.
2: And listeners, we're not going to read out what he says, because it's abhorrent, even in the context of the story. Yep. We're not going to say it. He has a right hand raised, and he basically... (sighs) You can look it up for yourself. Spouting racist rhetoric. Yes, that's a tidy way of saying it. Right, panel three. We see the two Green Lanterns standing on the roof of the stadium. Um, We hear the tail end of one part of the senator's speech as we hear him saying, They can't appreciate the finer things. Hal says, He's babbling nonsense, all right. Such stupidity is the price we pay for free speech.
1: Yes, sir, I am getting sick to my
2: stomach. Nothing's changed, has it? Nope. 52 years ago, this comic was published.
1: Yep, and I know someone Pretty who much. would sell out that stadium instantly. Yep. These days with the same spiel.
2: Absolutely. Panel 4 is interesting. We're down behind the senator. He's being fired upon. There's a couple of bam-bams. And a young black man who has the gun says, You'll
0: die for your lies! Caption for the next panel. The listener sits stunned, shocked, Except for Green Lantern and his new partner. Hal leaps into action, saying, The assassin is escaping! Move! And John says, Not me! You go chasing him! I'm leaving!
2: First panel, of page 11. Hal has flown down and managed to catch the assassin. He creates a power ring structure, which wraps around the ankles of the guy, makes him fall to the ground, dropping the gun. Hal is thinking, I'll tend to Stuart, shove the power ring down his throat after I nail the gunman. Funny, the gunman saw me coming yet didn't use his pistol. In panel two, the guy's standing up with a thud. Hal punches him out, thinking,
0: I'll ask why when he wakes up. Meanwhile, in the parking lot outside, a policeman tenses, sensing trouble, unaware he's framed in the sights of a submachine gun. Yeah, the machine guns in the foreground of the panel We see a policeman mooching around
2: further into the image. He's thinking, Sure got quiet inside. The windbag must have run out of wind. At least I hope that's the reason. In the final panel page 11, the machine gun starts to fire, but thankfully, a Green Lantern power ring construct beams down from the sky and shoves the policeman out of the way. A voice says, Watch it and in the first panel of page twelve we get a close-up of the machine gunner. He's a white guy, a green shirt, slight black brown hair, and another power ring construct comes in and bends back the barrel of his gun. The
1: bearer of that Green Lantern ring says, We got as a junior grade Al Capone lurking behind the cars. Cat hasn't heard choppers when out of style with the roaring 20s. Hey! exclaims the bad guy
2: as his barrel gets bent. And then in panel two, we see the bad guy being borne up into the air in a solid rectangular Green Lantern power construct. As its bearer, John Stewart, is
1: saying, Well, he won't be using that one again, nor much of anything else. In panel
2: three, we see the policeman, who John saved, standing with John. The policeman says, Thanks,
1: fella. You saved my hide. John says, Don't thank me, thank this ever-loving ring. Best trinket a man ever wore. You can see the bad guy standing beside them, trapped in
2: this power ring construct. Off camera, Hal cries, John Stewart! My name's Green Lantern II, remember? Hal is in a rage. He's grasped John by the front of his uniform and he's saying,
1: No, it's not. You're a disgrace to your uniform, your ring, and yourself. I warned you. Steady. I don't enjoy being manhandled. Listen, you round up the pistol that cat fired at Clutcher and meet me inside. You're going to have your own lesson, teacher.
2: A Slow dissolve. Then... Final panel, page 12, we see Hal with the senator, a couple of policemen, and uh, the young black man that Hal fought for the pistol earlier on. And John is saying... Thing is,
1: I spotted the pistol packer with the senator this afternoon at the airport. Likewise, I spotted the machine gun artist. I asked myself, why is one shooting and the other missing? The answer is in the gun you're holding, Green Lantern. The first panel of page 13... You see Hal with the pistol. He's on the barrel and some bullets fall out. And Hal
2: looks alarmed and says, It's filled with blacks! Then a very moodily underlit John says
1: in panel two, Yeah, it's a frame. While Pistol Pete was blasting the senator with blanks, the real killing was supposed to take place in the parking lot. That way it looks like the blacks are on a rampage and Clutcher is everybody's hero. Then Clutcher waltzes into the presidency and pretty soon this country is ripped apart with civil war.
2: Senator Clutcher stands there looking impassive as
1: Hal says, Clutcher, you're
2: beneath contempt. I'm certain your colleagues in Congress will bounce you where you belong. And a slow dissolve for the final panel. Shortly. And we're back with Hal and John and a power battery, sat up on the roof of the stadium as Hal says, I'll admit, John, your style turned me off. I was more than ready to stick blame on you. No sweat, pal.
0: Only style isn't important. Any more than colour. And a caption rounds out the story saying, Where or when, no man can say. But rest assured, John Green Lantern Stewart will return.
2: And John Stewart will return to the podcast eventually. We will see him again. So a very straightforward story, especially compared to the introduction of Guy Gardner, very much more straightforward. And it's able to let John demonstrate and show his worth. And yes. Show that he's capable and how he be learned to chill slightly.
1: Absolutely, yes. I found this one really interesting from a Green Lantern continuity point of view. You've got the Guardians telling Hal he needs a backup, right? which we haven't really had before. That's very true, yes. Whereas when they introduced Guy Gardner, Guy was unaware he was supposed to be yeah. the backup. Yeah. And at no point did we have a training montage with Hal That's and true. Guy Gardner. That's true.
2: I mean, all we had was Hal watched a big fancy television that showed him what if. Yeah, which th- was which was bizarre. And then... And then Hal made the point of becoming friends with him, making his acquaintance. So it's possible uh-huh. that off camera, maybe we did see some of that.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe something did happen, you know, that uh, the reader hasn't seen yet. When we write our DC comic, we'll fill in the gap. Guy Gardner, the lost years. Yeah. But certainly... That's not what the focus of the story is. The focus of the story is in John Stewart and his introduction and some interesting, socially relevant content, again, from yeah. this winning combination of Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's very well done. It's very subtle. Like, you know, mm-hmm. black kids getting hassled by the police. John steps in. How's that? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, are you sure this guy's got some beef? But then he yeah. gets to know him. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's true, you know, again, we keep saying this. We're not really qualified. Are we qualified to talk on the race issue?
1: But it is still a thing, mm-hmm. you know. It's still an issue. There's okay. no two ways about it. It's very well written for the time, excellent. I think. Especially John's dialogue, for example. The shorthand stereotype for uh, an African-American at, that, at this stage would have been having him say ain't every second word. or of Or say nothing, you know, basically dropping the G's off the yeah. ends. But his dialogue reads very smartly. Very, You can tell he's an assertive, educated person who's yeah. very forthright and has this sense of social justice within him uh, very intelligent it's really well written and uh, a yeah. really good introduction for the character
2: yeah I mean I think we're at this point I think Luke Cage first appears in 1972 mm-hmm. Luke Cage hero, hero for hire number one and Luke you know they were probably trying to make him relevant or uh-huh. he became almost a caricature sort of straight away you know Christmas yeah. and all that and you know yeah. and I think the character of Black Lightning, the mm-hmm. superhero Black Lightning, of course not the not the horse who we, who we met in our Johnny <laughs> Thunder episode a long time or ago. Oh, the future
0: horse would be awesome. Yeah,
2: you know Black Lightning was almost a kind of a parody of that because you know, he, you've got not where you you have another. I've taken mm-hmm. an educated black man who dresses up almost in a caricature with a yeah, the, uh-huh. with a wig and a you know a deep cut shirt and stuff, yes. and there's that famous issue of the GLA where they, mm-hmm. they lampoon that style of mm-hmm. you know com- almost comedy yeah. talking, which John helpfully yes, doesn't do. Uh-huh. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a great introduction for John. I mean, yeah. part of me sort of thinks that they've been really brave of, of DC just to have. Hal going sabbatical for six months and have John just take over,
1: I wish they'd had the balls to do it. Back then, it, you it know, it's, I mean, we know that there wasn't much life left in this title as it, as yeah. it was. Well, after this one, was only one new, new issue before
2: uh-huh. the cancellation. And this is the thing, like the, the hard-travelling heroes are so, so well-regarded nowadays and mm-hmm. has been for a while. But mm-hmm. at the time, it, it just didn't seem to be... or at least they weren't reporting the numbers for them to keep it going. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm reminded of, remember, some of the resistance that we had when we were reading the Spectre Mm-hmm. some of the letters that we read then where people were kind of they weren't really into the socially relevant sort of progressive yeah. sort of stuff they uh-huh. just wanted cheap thrills and yeah. i wonder if maybe that was a side effect of it maybe a lot maybe they were literally ahead of their time mm-hmm. there's not too much more to say about the story it's so economical it's it's done it's a nice it's a very very important part of the green lantern legacy
1: yeah one of the things that i did really enjoy was john's even got a goofy quality to him because that scene of the two of them in the candy store and he's having a milkshake and he's literally got a milk moustache Yes on that panel as (laughs) as he's just you know being kind of focusing homies no it's just a really cute kind of extra character detail saying you know square John to my friend so basically he is kind of like He's aware he's a bit of a dork Yeah which is again a wonderful character trait he's not the stereotype that you saw everywhere, yeah, back then, and yeah, the, like, well, that's the thing. They're not, you know, he's just a guy, that, and that's mm-hmm. the
2: whole point. He's just a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was always impressed by. Do you remember Land of the Giants? Remember um mm-hmm. Dan the co-pilot and other giants? He was, oh, yeah. he was another similar character, like mm-hmm. a capable, yeah, just a man. The fact that he was black was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, it's a po- a good bit of positive representation of having him there.
1: Yeah, we have commented this earlier on, but to give the listeners a bit more feedback on our situation, when I was growing up, there was not a single personal color. In my high school, for all the years I was there, right, it's only when I was an adult and stuff that I actually did meet and get to know yeah. people. And that's not through choice; that's just it's just that that was the population in the area. It, yeah, it was literally. Yeah, we and, had
2: um we had a mixed race family in our street, but again, I don't think we'd any any black kids in our high school uh-huh. either. I'm not sure how different that is in Paisley now, because obviously yeah. I think Britain is a little more integrated than it used to be. I mean, there was, you know, some horrible times in, in the 80s where, you know, riots and bricks and what have you, and, sure. mm-hmm. and a lot of trouble in various places in the 70s as well. Mm-hmm. I hope it's a lot better, but we both know in our hearts that in, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways it isn't. Mm-hmm. And it, again, as I keep saying, it's easy for you and me just to sit here and feel a bit holier than now, and, yeah. but it's the, the race thing is, is never going to go away, and it doesn't matter how many episodes of Star Trek or how many yeah. comics that, that touch on it, it's...
1: Until people just uh-huh. can just accept that people are people, it's still going to be yeah. a problem. I mean, literally, the week of recording, Black History Month has just started. Of course. And uh, the DC specials come out for that. And literally, this could be de-printed Yeah, there and just... <laughs> put on as a, a new story because uh-huh. it does feel so contemporary it does feel so now it's it's horrible but, it, but we've not learned much from that
2: yeah and we'd encourage our listeners to pick a copy of that up because it features a story with um, future All-Star Squadron member Amazing Man
0: ooh right?
2: exciting which is great and obviously mm-hmm. we'll probably talk a lot more about this sort of thing when we get to, to his first appearance in a few years time mm-hmm. now Pete so you did a little bit of digging and research on the, the sort of history and introduction and creation of John Stewart didn't you
1: yes I remember years ago listening to Fat Man and Batman the Kevin Smith podcast and he was interviewing Neil Adams and they talked a bit about uh, the creation of John Stewart. And it led me to do a bit more digging. And I found a really interesting article from Back Issue, issue 8. Right. Back Issue 8 from Two Morrows came out in 2005. And there's a whole feature on Jon Stewart. Now, there's a, an interview that's with Denny O'Neill. And also there's a second interview that's with Neil Adams. Now, they kind of conflict each other slightly, but you get the general gist between the two of them. Denny asked, "Tell tells about the history of John Stewart, and he said I run into this problem all the time, it was 30 years ago no one was taking notes. Nobody thought that anyone would remember the character beyond 4 or 5 years. With the Green Lantern Green Arrow series, Neil Adams and I were kind of aware we were pushing the envelope out a little bit, and it was just a consensus between the two of us and Julie Schwartz that we needed a black character. The rationale for being a Green Lantern made it very easy to create an African American Green Lantern because there's no reason that a guy like that couldn't get the ring. Then he also goes on to say, ideally, he would have been written by a black writer, but there were virtually none in the field back then. Mm. I always feel a little awkward when I'm doing an ethnic character because it's not Irish Catholic. But sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And to be honest, I'm glad that he did. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this character. Yeah. Because he is a really strong, interesting character and a very positive role model,
2: Well, I think, so, role model representation, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the quote from Neil Adams Mm -hmm. on John's creation as well, isn't
1: there? Yes, there is. Neil does go into it in a a bit more detail. He says that he was sitting with Julie Schwartz and he was talking about the idea of doing another Green Lantern. Of course, Julie showed how stupid it was because someone had already done that with a guy named Guy Gardner. I asked Julie about that character and he pulled out a comic book and showed Guy to me. Mm -hmm. Julie then asked me what I had in mind for a new Green Lantern. I said it'd be nice to have a Green Lantern who shows up and perhaps is a little more adventurous. Someone who could really take over and who could really be an interesting character. I said, let me just ask you a question, Julie. If you were to do another Green Lantern, do you think you would make him a white guy? Julie said, yes, he thought so. To tell comics. Why are you asking? I said, well, you have a Green Lantern who came to Earth, Abin Sur, and he was going to die. So he sent out the ring, and the ring was to find the most noble and bravest guy on Earth to become Green Lantern. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Presumably the Green Lantern Corps is able to do this. They could find the best candidate on any given planet and the ring found Hal Jordan. It makes sense to me that it would find Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan was a test pilot who under various people's tutelage seemed to be a pretty good fella. Then the ring went out and found a replacement for Hal and it turned out that this replacement Guy Gardner happened to be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant gym teacher. Yep. Now this has to be straining the edge of credulity. But the second best guy on earth to become a Green Lantern is a white guy. I personally had a little problem with this guy Gardener. fella already. It seemed to me that if the ring was going out a third time, I don't think it's going to find a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant guy. It's going to find an Oriental guy or a black guy. Mm. Neil's words. The gist of my question to Julie was, can't we find a black green lantern? Julie, overpowered by awfully obvious logic, said, all right, I'll talk to Denny. Neil's then asked, what were your thoughts when you read the script that Denny wrote to introduce John Stewart? Right troubled i got the first pages of the script and the story was originally about this fellow named lincoln washington oh dear i went to julie and said i'm having a little trouble with the name julie and his gentleman's innocence asked why i said julie that's a slave name yes (laughs) i don't think he could find a more slave name than lincoln washington yeah there were black guys in america who were changing their names to muslim names to avoid slave names i explained Julie asked me what I thought his name ought to be. I said, I don't know if you want to go the Muslim thing, but just give him a regular name like John Stewart. That'd be a really good name. I had originally asked that he be made an architect and be given a profession that anyone who is black would look at and say, yeah, I could buy that. So, yeah, originally Lincoln, Washington. That's, that's And Neil Adams awful. said, no, nope, John Stewart. And I'm glad you did.
2: Neil Adams, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I seem to remember John being involved in um, a couple of real issues be one issue of in the late '90s JSA series. I'm pretty sure there's a conversation with him and Sand in one issue when he's—I think that's when he was in the wheelchair and he was doing his architect bit and helping them build. New uh, oh portals.
1: yes, 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 yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Good, uh-huh. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's and he was absolutely right. If mm-hmm. Pete and I are both Legion of superheroes fans, mm-hmm. and it's one of these things, some people might say that it's it's white privilege, but you grow up, you just read things as they are. And you take them as they are. And I remember having an almost sort of epiphany moment a couple of years ago when I was reading an old Legion of Superheroes story. It was a really early one. Mm -hmm. And you realise for this utopian future, a thousand years in the future, there's an awful lot of white faces. Yeah. And then there's the creation of the the character Uh Tyrock, which I think is a little heavy-handed. Yeah. But you sort of think about it now, like, because I remember there was a little a few sort of raised eyebrows when Michael Bendis launched his recent Legion of Superheroes because he Mm -hmm. racially flipped a few characters and Mm -hmm. to me that made perfect sense because the melting pot is just going to continue for the next thousand Mm -hmm. years and it makes sense that you know you're going to see a a more racially diverse group of superheroes Uh I mean on the one hand you could look at Legion and go Oh, it is diverse because there's someone with blue skin and someone with with, with green skin. Yeah. But it's shocking to think that the Legion was about for a good fifteen years or so before yeah. there was a you know, mm-hmm. the first black character. So mm-hmm. when you think about that sort of stuff, the creation of John Stewart is brilliant. It's yeah. again a lot of it would just be The people who were writing the comics just Mm -hmm. doing what they knew. But then I think that Denny and Neil, and I suppose Julie, if he was editor, I think that's to be applauded for for taking this step. Because it's a good bit of representation. Mm -hmm. And if it makes a few people think and reconsider their attitudes, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure it must have done, then, then hopefully fantastic. Hopefully, yeah. I hope we don't sound too sanctimonious.
1: No, and I hope <laughs> and I seriously hope no one's offended by anything we've we've said during this because it is quite a very sensitive topic.
2: Yes. But we are celebrating Green Lantern's legacy with yes. highlighting this very important character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've I've seen a lot of chat about how important John was and what a slight it was when the D C universe was rebooted in the new fifty two series and he didn't take the opportunity to mm-hmm. have John as the Green Lantern and yeah. in the Justice League and mm-hmm. you sort of think, Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean it's good that things have improved. More reflecting, actually. More reflective of the world that we actually live in, Yeah, really. And that's good. That's always going to be good. Like, you know, as I said earlier on in the episode, when we get to Christ and Infinite Earths, it's John that's going to be, going to be the main man. And he'll be really involved yep. at the start of it and mm-hmm. throughout. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he will be back.
1: Yes. Shall we have a wee look now at the reader response I think to this should. story then? Okay. I'm very interested to see what it is. We'll jump ahead to issue 89, the final one of this run, to mm. Green Lantern's mail chutes.
2: That's the one with the guy being crucified on the aeroplane engine, listeners, if you, yeah. <laughs> if you want a shortcut.
1: <laughs> if you want to, to know the other sort of stories that <laughs> yeah. uh, we're doing at this time. There's a nice Alan
2: Scott reprint from 1949 at the back, but yes, the yeah. letters page, quite chunky. Um, we'll just dive straight in. Dear Editor... A letter of comment to Green Lantern stroke Green Arrow is no simple chore or pleasure, rather, this late in the game. Everything has been said. The relevance of the series, which I would rather call pertinence, has been exclaimed over and praised. The quality of the artwork has been exclaimed over and praised. GLGA has been exclaimed over and praised time and again in the dozen issues since the two characters got together. Each new issue inspires the same general comments. Neil Adams captures reality as no other artist in the field dares, and we should have said... How nice to do a Neil Adams illustrated story
1: again. Yes. Absolutely
2: incredible. Yes. uh And Denny O'Neill is the best writer in comics. As good as in the medium as Norman Mailer is in his. And I'm not putting a typical Guy Lillian hysterical exaggeration there. I mean it. GLGA is almost without peer. It's changed the face and dream of comics magazines. And so forth and so on. It has all been said before. Time for another collection of linked superlatives to GLGA for its 12th issue this time. Beware my power like Snowbirds Don't Fly, the superb dope story that preceded this unlucky arm, unlucky Big Zad to follow Snowbirds, I think the introduction of John Stewart will provoke a mess of inferior imitating work throughout the comic periphery. This is the usual response of comicdom to an outstanding, unique story. Relevance has been shoved down the throat of fandom since GLGA's success, never with one-tenth the care and maturity of even the least of the Denny O'Neill Adams stories. It is the price we pay for excellence. While there have been superheroes before, None have talked like black men. None have convinced me for one moment they were anything more than some quasi-liberal comic writer's guilt trip on hip pills. Stuart did. Thank heaven that O'Neill didn't make him a Vietnam vet. Interesting, given what we were saying about the home marine thing, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Most of the Nam vets comics have shown us have been black, and what sorry evidence of class consciousness bubbling from what artist's eds is that? No, Stuart is an architect, a nice touch. I've known guys like that. So I can believe Stuart. I surely believe the environment depicted by Adams. No one can depict the real world as well. Splitting the GLGA team doesn't really sit well with me, though the second story, Green Arrow solo starring in What Can One Man Do, made it with me by artful brevity and style. Elliot Magin whoever he is, has done a fine, fine job and what stylish work by Adams special attention should be given to the splash panel blah 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 um, compares it to Jack Kirby etc we didn't read that story because no. obviously just all in his own that mm-hmm. letter's from Guy H. Lillian third Kenner Ellie we have had
1: letters from him before I'm Certainly sure are. yes prolific letter hack. short editorial response to that more about whoever he is magin later on but right now a cold shoulder treatment at critical variance with that of our favourite Guy and the next letter says dear editor it is a truism of the comics again industry
2: yeah, I'm refusing to read comics with an X. I'm just <laughs> reading comic, frankly.
1: It is a truism of the comics industry that the inclusion of ethnic characters does not affect sales. Therefore, we must assume that when Denny O'Neill introduces a black character named John Stewart in the latest Green Lantern, his motives are altruistic rather than sordidly capitalistic. Unfortunately, it is a sort of half-hearted altruism of the type which characterises white Americans' attitude towards black people. The fact is that of the more than 20 superhero comics on the stands today, not one of them features a solo black protagonist. Black characters, when they are used, are invariably in the shadow of a white mentor. Interesting. Beware My Power is no exception. The Green Lantern of each planet, it seems, must have a standby to take his place if he's incapacitated. Hal Jordan's second is injured, and a new one must be chosen. The choice is John Stewart, a black, out-of-work architect. He is flippant and angry about America's social impression of its people. By rather torturous and contrived means, writer O'Neill gives Stewart the victory in this morality play of political racist machinations. But the fact remains that he is in Hal Jordan's shadow, and in this, O'Neill echoes the sentiments of white middle-class Americans. Sure, they say to the black man... We'll let you use our restrooms and eat in our restaurants. We'll even give you your own power ring. <clears throat> but black people are not, it seems, to take the limelight as strong characters. This was the message of Fred Hampton's death. And it is reflected in the fact that the John Stewart's of the comics industry, no matter how young and angry they are, are never more than incidental secondary characters. And that's from Juan Cole, Northwestern University, Evanstown, Illinois. That's a brilliant letter. Frankly. Yes. Yes. Um, we
2: did some editing yes. there on some of the language. Uh-huh. Again, we're trying to be as sensitive
1: and <laughs> careful as we can. Yes, stuff that was written 50 years ago, yeah. you can't really say these days. Yeah,
2: But it's, I mean, he's right. It's like, you know, as I said a minute ago, it would have been nice mm-hmm. if they'd had the balls just to make John the headliner and the full-time Green Lantern and yeah. you know, maybe have Hal be cri- you know,
1: yeah. critically injured or something. As we said, it was cancelled before yeah. you know, it went on. Yeah. You went into a backup in The Flash for a yeah. while but and you can't introduce really a new character. And yeah, but I mean, but that, in, but you think that's but, a good point
2: you, know. you make. It became a backup strip in The Flash mm-hmm. and some of the stories were done by the same people that were doing this, but just we didn't yeah. see John. It's almost mm-hmm. tokenistic in a way. Mm-hmm. It's only the fact that John came back in the 80s. Yeah. And has, and has maintained and endured since then. Yeah. I I think it appears once in the the whole of the 1970s. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, Juan is making a really good point there. It's a long time before we see a full-time Black DC superhero. Sure. The next letter, dear editor, got the new GLGA today and I must say I like it. Seems strange to say that since I thought I'd never like Denny O'Neill's relevance kick, but I must say it. Let me be a bit clearer. I get no thrill watching intergalactic trials that are supposed to parallel the worst publicity spawned aspects of Right Here off trials. I shed no tears when Green Lantern is asked, what have you done for the black skins? His answer should have been, I've saved the world a couple of dozen times, now flake off. And I can only cringe when I see an otherwise excellent editor run the drug story that implies belief in the off debunked theory that grass leads to H. By eighty-seven, you've pulled it out. I like it. There's no crying for causes here. There's not a word of preaching. There's no far-fetched situation set up to make a point. There is a real situation. One I can sympathise with. I've been hassled by the law a couple of times myself, but I can defend myself by pulling my mild mannered reporter's press card and asking the cop his name. More important, there's a man in there I like. Jail snap judgment that he's got a chip on his shoulder may or not be correct. It depends on whether you like cop number one or cop number two better. Yes, indeed, I'll go so far as to say that John Stewart is the best character you've ever introduced in the Green Lantern series, and that includes Hal Jordan. Mm. Keep him the way he is. Don't mess with his head as you go along. Particularly, don't make him another falcon. But let him keep in mind his parting words. Style isn't important, any more than colour. And then, in... I'm actually I'm going to read this because it's interesting. As to Green Arrow, I'm not welled over the idea of making him mayor of Star City. But the thing has, it's points. Mainly he's needed a person license life since forever. A stereotype Bruce Wayne analogue isn't it. A character we never practically see outside of that green costume isn't it. Even if the character has a girlfriend. With an important position that you can really get into, we might just get an idea of who Oliver Queen is. Who is Elliot Magan? Mike Friedrich? <laughs> or oh, are in different leagues, if you ask me? And that letter's from Donald D. Markstein, New Orleans. We've had letters from him before, I think. Yep. A big, long editorial response is mainly concerned with explaining that Elliot Magan is not Mike Friedrich. No. Nothing too much about the, the John Stewart story, really, but a little chat about the Ollie Queen story. And then there's one more letter.
1: There is indeed, and it goes like this. Dear Editor, how do you give a standing ovation in a letter? Well, I guess you'd have to imagine the applause and encore. You'd better watch out, though. You're making even the best of DC's other magazines look mediocre. Incredible is the only word to describe your maintenance of this level of excellence. Three pages of letter of comment writers can't be wrong. Since it would be hard to start the discussion of issue 87 with the best or worst contribution, I guess I'll have to start at the beginning. Beware My Power played in all aspects like a great movie. It is hard again to choose the best part, but in no way trying to diminish the contribution of the illustrious illustrators, I'd say that Mr Denny O'Neill's script stands out. Starting with the opening sequence of Guy Gardner in the aftermath of the earthquake, the premise is carefully built in all aspects of the past legend then we are introduced to John Stewart. His role is in no way obvious from the introduction. Is he hero or anti-hero? Wild-eyed or deservedly bitter? He plays with his power at first, misusing it somewhat, again bitter, but in a short time able to think on his feet in the position of a superhero. He seems to be quite fearless and boy is he honest. And the rest of his letter is taken up talking about the subsequent stories in the issue. And that's from Bob Abrahams from Rego Park, New York. No editorial
2: response to that one, so that is where we leave it. Listeners, where did you first encounter John Stewart? What do you think of this story? Did we do a reasonable job? Let us know.
1: Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to write to us, you can email us at at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we'll be putting up some lovely bonus content for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the earth2podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And it's the number two for all of our social media.
2: As I always say at this point, if you'd like to leave us a positive review somewhere, that'd be lovely. If you'd like to go to our coffee page and buy Peter the price of a beverage like Chuck did, that'd be amazing.
1: That was fantastic. Thank you. I enjoyed that very much.
2: Yeah, be sure to check out the bonus features that I've assembled A John Stewart Gallery. I've assembled a few other covers that homage the cover to issue 87 found the original cover for 87 and the original original cover for 87 and the original art for 88 so they'll wow. all be flying up on the socials wow. amongst other things you've been busy yeah, well, this all worked out for months in advance. <laughs> months and months. There are some foreign reprint covers that popped on my, on, on day recording, popped up my time up that I've now had on my phone for two years and I probably won't end up posting for at least another two or three years in some <laughs> cases in the podcast. So hey, there we
1: go. This is the level of research welcome, we do for you. There welcome we to
2: my world. <laughs> we will give another quick mention to, to Ross from Stop Let's Team Up because he started a new dedicated Starman podcast called Opal City Confidential. I have had the honour of guest appearing on episode 2 to talk about the Starman of 1951 so listeners, we would encourage you to check that out if you're a fan of the aspect of DC Comics that deals with legacy. Ross is a lovely guy he's very supportive of us so we'd encourage you to check out his podcast.
1: Absolutely, without a doubt. And on that note I've been Peter
2: I've been David. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you very soon on the Earth Earth 2
0: Podcast Transmatter Cube activated Return coordinates set for Earth Prime I did not take a big enough breath for a sorted that. I heard that rumour. I started it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe he's brave, honest, and he has the right kind of mind, but it's obvious he also has a chip on his shoulder the size of the rock of <laughs> <laughs>